Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, and uh, we welcome you back. Well, welcome me back anyway. i got to quickly switch things around here to make sure that the Red Sox stay on the air because we're broadcasting on YouTube only and on our app, which you can download for free from either Android or iOS. Uh, you can also check us out on SpookySouthCoast.com and streaming live on YouTube as well. And as I said, tonight's going to be a very special episode. Tonight is going to be a night where we remember one of our favorite guests of all time, our Gary Patterson. We were just listening before the show of a little bit of the very first time that we had Gary on, which was, you know, 11, 10, 11 years ago when we first had him on. And Chris, I have to say, remembering what it was like that first time, how, remember how nervous we were to talk to Gary that we were going <laughs> to drop the ball and he was going to hate us and hang up the phone on us? I, I, I think the first time I talked to him was the second time during the Amy Winehouse. Right. That was the second time. That right. Was the first time, I don't think I was with you guys yet. You weren't with us yet. I wasn't well, with you guys yet because I remember listening to that episode and being like, wow, this guy is amazing. I've got to find out more about him. He's talking about all the stuff that I talked about in, uh, uh, in that VH1 show, and not knowing that he was connected with it. And so I think I didn't come on board and speak with him until... Uh, 2011 with the Amy Winehouse interview, and I was just completely nervous. It was one of those times when, you know, but it, it, that's what ended up happening, is it became one of those situations where, like, we have to talk to Gary about this. And there, right. were, there were many more times where that happened, whether it turned into something that we did on the show or not. There was always these moments where we said, we got we to gotta talk to Gary. We at least got to touch base with Gary and find out, you know, what his thoughts are on this. And I think that's a testament to somebody who, you know, stands at the very top of what it is that they do. You know, it was funny because in, in setting up the show, the very first thing that Costa and I talked about was um, we had to get the guy on uh, who, who was the expert on the Beatles. Um, and we had, who, whose name is Joe, and I can never pronounce his last name. Um, and so I tried to get him, and then he said, we have to get George Case on, who we had on a few months ago, maybe about a year ago now. Mm-hmm. And George said, I've never heard of him before. And I said, really? Like, all of your research is what he was talking about. Right. And that's, that and Joe, that's Joe how knows. influential he became. He became bigger than the information, or the information he, pre- he presented to people became bigger than the man himself. Jonah's in that speaking of. He was influencing people without him realizing that he was behind it. And, and, and that's what, you know, we talked to George Case about Gary. We talked to Joe Nesgoda about Gary. And I think that anybody who listens to Coast to Coast has heard of Gary. And anybody who's a fan of this show knows about Gary. And, and we just had him on twice in the mm-hmm. last, you know, couple of months. He was supposed to be on tonight, technically. Right. Things got moved around a little bit. So tonight would have been our 500th, but instead it's next week and he would have been our guest next week. And it's there's already weird coincidences, or maybe they're non coincidences, along with this. Now we haven't, I haven't seen a cause of death for for Gary. I've just seen the obituary that says that he died suddenly, and he died on mm-hmm. May 26th. 
So one day shy of being of, of dying on the twenty seventh, which would right. have been fitting. And all the information came out by the time it was announced to the public. It was the twenty seventh, right? Which is closely associated with Gary and his work with the twenty seven club and all the rock right. stars who died at the age of twenty seven, which we've discussed in the past and just discussed recently with him. But also, he dies the day before Greg Allman. Who right. anybody who knew Gary, like as much as Gary loved the Beatles, Gary loved the Allman Brothers, and he chronicled the legends around and the curses around them them as well, and was a huge Greg Allman fan. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, a weird oddly point. enough, the reason why I contacted Gary, I hadn't talked to him in about two years. We had a little bit of a falling out kind of situation happen, and I, you know, it was in my head and not his because he was like, "What are you talking about? There was, I have no issue with you." Um, but I contacted him because I wanted him, um, you know, I'm doing a summer tour for Tripping on Legends, and I wanted to go to Macon, Georgia, uh, to be in the Allman Brothers Cemetery, and I wanted to go to the location of the hospital where uh, Barry supposedly sold his soul to the devil, sold his soul to someone for another year of success. And so I contacted him because, A, I wanted to know where the hospital was, and B, I wanted to know whether I could meet up with him. And this was going to be the first time that him and I were going to meet in person. And it's all surrounding the Allman Brothers. Uh, And that's what got us talking the last couple of months. That's what got him on the show uh, when we had him on uh, a few months ago. And that was what got him on for this. You know, so it it was connected in my head, the Allman Brothers and us, him and I, you know, reuniting. And I know that what, what, what I... The reason why that I wanted to have Gary on for our 500th episode is because not only is he our favorite guest of all time and somebody who we could just sit back and listen to him talk for hours about some of these things that he's covered, but also there was a a timing reason as well because our 500th was falling right around the same time as the 50th anniversary of the release of Sgt. Pepper and the reissue and Gary died on the day, the 50th anniversary of the release of Sgt. Pepper's. Right. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, and that's another example of, you know, he was talking about those connections years ago and on tons of radio shows. And it just is normal now for people to analyze what's going on with there. But it really started with him looking at it. And for those, you know, in kind of a formalized way, especially. For those of you who aren't familiar with Gary's work, and, and I don't know how you can't be if you're a, a regular listener of this show, but I know we have a lot of new listeners. This is a guy, he was an English teacher, high school English teacher, who devoted his spare time to chronicling some of the rock and roll legends and curses out there. So all these stories that we heard about, you know, the idea of Paul is dead and, and, and the whole the great Beatles death clues, all that, that was the basis of his first book, The Walrus Was Paul. And then actually I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. His first book was uh Hellhounds on Their Trail, right? Mm-hmm. But then, yep. then it was re-released under a different title. You know, what was it? Uh, Take a Walk on the Wild Side? or Take, Take a, a Walk on the Wild Side, right. It so, was re-released as that. So that was his original book. But his first major release was The Walrus Was Paul. Which the Walrus Was Paul. The, p- piecing together all of these clues that came from the Beatles songs that indicated that, you know, Paul McCartney had died in, in, in a car accident in 1966 and had been replaced with a Toronto police officer named William Shears, who then became the the new Paul McCartney, and the Paul McCartney that we know now is just Billy Shears, you know, all these years later. And, you know, Gary never believed it, but 
he laid it all out there for people to kind of follow along, and 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 it's a fun thing. And I don't know how much of it was intended by the Beatles, and how much of it is just you know Gary's work retroactively putting together these pieces. But it turns into this fun right. game that you can play with Beatles music, where you say, "Oh, wait a minute, you know, this is all starting to make sense, and it's kind of scary that it's making sense." And I think in personal conversations with him, it was important. I think we've talked about this on the air too. It was important for for rock and roll to have a mystique about it, that there was a lot going on. Uh, the the music was thoughtful. And it lent itself to urban legends. It lent itself to the curses and the mysteries that he was talking about. And so I think he he partly um, believed some of what the Beatles stuff that was going on, some of this other uh, things that he talked about. But I also think that he felt he needed to document the legends behind them as much as the truths behind them. And that that was part of the whole picture of looking at rock and roll, especially in that era. And in talking in talking with him and, and and breaking down the way that he decided to go about chronicling this, it actually inspired you and I in our own work. You know, talking with Gary and, and seeing his his lens and his perspective on things kind of shaped us a little bit. And I know that you were kind of already in this mold anyway, but it kind of shaped shaped us into the sense of it doesn't really matter if the end result is a true story that we're telling. The interesting part is the journey of how we got to that story. Yeah, it was much more about um, this is the social atmosphere, this is the climate uh, that these things created. This is what it says about us, this is what it says about what people were thinking about music. Uh, He talked a lot about how those kinds of things, you know, you take someone uh, like his work on Led Zeppelin and talking about uh, the curses surrounding them, well, that molded an entire generation of hard rock uh, during the 80s and into the 90s who followed in the footsteps of Led Zeppelin because of the mystique, because of the urban legend stuff that had to do with it. They would go to the same places to record, or they would, within their music, make allusions to um, to, to Led Zeppelin selling their soul. or to, to That became a huge part of rock and roll, and, and, and I think Gary did a lot to celebrate that, being that, like, you know, this is influencing us, even if it might not be true. Um, it's influencing the artists that are coming after it. And that's what Gary's work celebrated more than anything, is that mystique. You know, it's one thing to ha- Anybody can write a, a biography of the Beatles or a biography of the Allman Brothers. He went beyond that. He went into, you know, some of the stories that were passed around, some of the stories that were told behind the scenes. You know, he didn't just go out there and talk to the artists and get their stories, which he he did. I mean, he had amazing access to a lot of these artists, but he also went and he talked to the roadies and the producers and the people who were around them, the management teams, the, the, the people who were booking the concert venues where these bands came, and he found out, you know, how much of these stories were true, how much of them were exaggerated, and in the end, it didn't really make a difference because it was all part of the mythology of these of these rock gods. Right, and, you know, he spent a lot of time... Um, I think, perfecting how he was going to tell the story as well. You know, um, I, I must have asked him to tell me the story about the Allman Brothers in the cemetery five or six times, mm-hmm. uh, both on air and in, kind of like in conversations, because I love the way he told the story, you know, and there was an attention to um, emphasis and an attention to inflection of his voice and an attention to how the story was being told, where to pause for the right moments, and he was a historian 
who found it important to also be a storyteller while he was doing that. And that, you know, that emphasis on both of those things together became a huge influence on the way that I wrote and the way that I, I talk about these kind of things when I'm in public. I almost felt, too, that when, I mean, even from the very first time that we talked to him, I got a sense of this is a person who, I'm trying to think of a way to put it in a way that people can understand. Because, you know, we've had long conversations about Gary and about the way that we approach things. But, you know, we live in a society now and and in a pop culture society now where the gossip is king. You know, TMZ Mm -hmm. is more important these days than Rolling Stone. And Gary was somebody who never, you know, as much as he was chronicling the the stories around these people that may or may not have been true, he never ventured into the into the realm of gossip. He never ventured into the TMZ, just some of the, right. the periphery stuff of, of people. If he told you something, he was telling you it because that's what people that were around these artists were talking about. He's he's basically he's reporting, but he's reporting on things that may or may not be based in fact, but he lays that out there right at the beginning. And that that I think that was part of the the storytelling process is you know, he would go, Now this one person told me this, but and you know, and, and it would be and it would it would be part of the storytelling that like you may not believe this part, but one person I spoke to was allowed to that's my horrible, you know, <laughs> Tennessee accent I guess right. going on right there. But that like you know, he would make that part of it that there was a rumor out there and I'm gonna clearly say it's a rumor, but see how it connects. Now imagine if that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, now it might not be true, and you know what I'm saying, but like, imagine what that says for the bigger picture. Okay, now let's move on to the next thing, as opposed to just being like, the rumor is the news. And I do feel that, in a way, it's, it's, it's disheartening to me that more people didn't know about his work. I mean, maybe it's just because we were so into the topic that mm-hmm. you know we were so enamored with Gary as a person when he was because he was a great guy. I mean, he was just an awesome human being on top of being a great storyteller. But you know, I got the news from you. I was on the cruise this past week, the Stranger Escapes cruise to Bermuda. And when we were at sea, I had no access to uh the internet. What would right. happen is I was on the ship's Wi-Fi because when you're on the ship they charge you every day for things, and they charge you for all kinds of things, and you want to monitor how much they're charging you. So you go on to their ship's Wi-Fi, you download the the Norwegian app, and you can check your balance. So I had the the I was on the Norwegian Wi-Fi solely to be able to check my balance. As a result, I could get messages sent, but I couldn't reply to them unless I bought the expensive internet package. So right. I got your text that said that Gary had passed away, but I had no way to reply. So. I get the news, and I don't know anything else about it. I don't know how. So I'm going around to everybody that's on the cruise. Now, I'm on the cruise with a bunch of paranormal investigators and some of the people that you know and see on TV. And, and for the most part, I'm asking around about it, and, and nobody knew who Gary was. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and, and if there was ever time for us not to be connected, you and I, <laughs> that was not it. Right. <laughs> Because, you know, I wanted to commiserate. And I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think that there were a lot of people who, and like I said, George Case is a great example of someone who's writing about what Gary wrote about and yet doesn't know the name but knew the work. Um, 
And it was like I couldn't find people who fully understood what this guy meant. And I was searching around, and I, I talked to as many people as I can, which is why I got in contact with Tim Banal, Banal America, and Michael Johnson, old hit, um, because I just wanted to talk and celebrate and kind of like get this. It was a very weird grief because here's a person who is a guest on the show, right? Um, and here's a person who had a public figure. And I remember years ago, you know, being like, Gary, not enough people know you for you. Like, they hear you on Coast to Coast or whatever, but you should be a much bigger name than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, whatever, I don't really care. You know, like, no, you sure, if you got a plan for that, whatever. Um, but there weren't enough people that I could talk to. And it was very odd because I considered him a friend, you know? And it was a, it was a very... Um, a very um, unique quality he had. I know you're not supposed to say very unique. It was a very unique quality he had to make people, when he spoke to them, um, feel as if they were very important to him. Right. He certainly did that and, for us. Right. I mean, he would, oh my, I love talking to you guys. I can't, but, and you and I are kind of taken back being like, what are you kidding? Like, you're the most amazing thing in the world, and you want to talk to us? You like talking to us? Like, right. you can be talking to George Norrie right now. You can be talking to you know, famous musicians who are still alive right now. And you enjoy talking to us, and I don't ever know whether that was true, but I like to think that it was. And so it was a weird sense of grief because it was someone famous, at least in our minds, extremely famous, and yet it was also very personal as well. Um, and, and so I had a really tough time, especially that Saturday. And, and it's hard, too, because, I mean, here's a guy who... As you said, you know, he could be talking to anybody and he could be, you know, like I just look back through some of my messages with him and it's always like, thank you so much for having me on. It's a joy to talk with you guys. It's nice to talk with people who actually, you know, get it and get excited for the the work and, you know, it just, it makes me feel like, as you were saying, like, no. Like, you were the one who's honoring us by coming on and speaking with us and, and sharing these stories with us. But not only that, but you're the one who is influencing us to be different researchers. You're the one right. who's influencing us to not be just, well, here's a ghost story and here's what might be true behind it. And here's, it, you know, you're the one making us say it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You know, the, the Liberty Valance, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. I think if you go back and you look at, you know, because uh, I know there's strings of the three of us talking and there's strings of him and I talking on Messenger. And if you go back and you just keyword the word exactly, um, it's going to be amazing how many times someone has said something and one of the three of us responds with exactly. And it's usually him responding to something we said, um, which is very reaffirming if you're talking about someone who you hold such high regard. And not only is he appreciating the fact that you're following him, but you're taking like the next step that he didn't say, you know, the, the subtext or the in between the lines of what he's saying. You're able to pull that out or make the connection that he's asking you to make. And he's like, exactly. Um, and that was very um, that was very influential on both, you know, our friendship, but then also like how I viewed him professionally and how I viewed myself professionally. Because, you know, when you've got someone and I'm going to go back to the Amy Winehouse interview who is literally saying, I have to hang up because I have to go on coast to coast. Right. The. The, the varsity, I gotta go talk to them. And he's talking to you guys, and it's like it's a personal conversation, and you're completely understanding each other. It's very, um, it's very affirming that what you're doing is, is right, and, and how you're approaching 
you know, this little thing that we do on Spooky South Coast um, is the right way to approach it. When you think about it, when you think about the way that he was able to make you feel important and, and the fact that, you know, yes, you know, I'm going on Coast to Coast and I talk about this. I, some people would not go on another show first. Some people would say, right. oh, no, no, I, I told Coast to Coast I'd go on with them. I have to go on with them first. I'll talk to you guys next week. But he always found a way, whether it was on the show or just a phone call or email exchange or whatever, he always found a way to answer whatever questions that we had and, and just to kind of help us make sense of things. I mean, we've lost a lot of artists over the last couple of years that really hit home for, for you and I, for our generation. Mm-hmm. And and here's this guy who's in his 60s and lived through the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and the Allman Brothers and all the deaths that were associated with those acts. And he's able to tell us, hey, guys, like, it's okay. I know that, it, it, you know, losing your heroes is a tough thing to go through, but you'll come out on the other side of it okay. And even if that's all the conversation was, it made a difference coming from him. Yeah, and I, and I think um, going back to what you were talking about before and kind of connecting with that, we're losing a lot of information um, that he had that he hasn't put out yet. You know, he was working on a, on several different projects. He was mm-hmm. working on the whole Buddy Holly documentary, um, and a lot of that information he didn't want to put out until he could figure out the best way to present it. But then also back it up and have information, be able to like have multiple sources before he put it out there to the public. And now we've lost that treasure trove of information that he had that he hasn't put out yet. I know he was gearing up for like another book as well, and so he was gathering information, and those are stories um, that hopefully aren't lost, but that I feel, uh, even if they if they get out there, uh, are not going to have his personalized storytelling touch to them. I mean, he's the guy who tracked down the original Peggy Sue, you know? Right. <laughs> and he became very close with her and, and, and was telling her a story. And now, like, who can pick up? And that's that's the big question at the end of all this. And I thought about this for the entire week. And I spent the whole week with, uh, you know, rooming with John E.L. Tenney. And Tenney and I were talking. And who's going to pick up the mantle of this? Who's going to be able to, to carry on Gary's work? Because you have other artists, I mean, other authors and researchers who have carried on the stories of these artists. But... Nobody did it with the same passion, and nobody did it with the same connections that Gary had. Right. And and um, I know there were a few people he was working with uh, on some documentaries, and hopefully like those people will, because they have access to his work, will pick up uh, the way that he did it. So hopefully. I also want to point out that if there's ever been an episode of Spooky South Coast that you want to check out what we're doing online, uh, we are posting during this show all of the links to the episodes that we have, his website, which is still, you know, it, it's still up there at least, his Amazon site, um, whatever social media on, just hashtag uh, SSC499, and you're going to find just a rabbit hole to fall down to, especially if you've never heard. If you're listening to us praising him here, but you've never listened to the interviews that we have, you're going to want to, like, hashtag... Um, Spooky South Coast, not Spooky South Coast, but SSC 499, just to get all the information that we're talking about tonight. And when you think about it, I'm thinking back in my head, like, when have we done tribute episodes before? You know, we did a tribute to Ed Warren when he passed. We did a tribute to Hans Holzer when he passed. I mean, there's been very few researchers who we have felt the need to stop what we're doing and spend a whole night just memorializing them and, and their contributions. 
And it just goes to show that, you know, Gary belongs in that pantheon of, of great researchers. Not because, you know, he wasn't out there, you know, tracking down the ghosts of these deceased rock stars. He was just putting together all the weird things. And, and that's what this is about. It's, and that's what this show is about. And that's what our work, you and I individually, has been about. It's never just about, you know, just ghosts. It's about everything that's weird right. and everything that makes the human experience unique. And makes the human experience just a little bit more interesting. And he was somebody who always found a way to look at things through that lens, through that perspective. It was almost as if he had a whole wall of his house um, with all of this kind of information just pegged on it. Right. And he would take ten steps back and look at the big picture of it and start to see these connections. And that's really what we need to bring into the future. We need to bring into the cryptozoology field and the UFO field is the wide lens that's going to like not just account for the reports, but also be like, wait a minute, I'm seeing these patterns and I'm putting a narrative to it. You know, we, we, because we're dealing with things that are um, viewed sometimes as being fake or not real, we feel the need to like base ourselves so much in reality and so much in the truth and the facts of things that we lose that, um, we, we almost kind of hamper ourselves that we can't make connections because then it's like, oh, wait a minute, I was with you when you said maybe this place was haunted, but now you're making this leap and you're putting an assumption in there, so now I, I, I don't necessarily believe the truth thing or the truth thing that you're saying. And he was able to do that with these uh, rock and roll mysteries and these controversies and kind of come out the other side clean. And I think that's something that, you know, really the, the other fields of the supernatural and the paranormal um, need to kind of focus on. And I want to take a step back, too, to what we mentioned a little bit earlier, and that's the fact that we were going to have Gary on for our 500th mm-hmm. episode, uh, and that one of the things we were going to talk about with him was the 50th anniversary of the release of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which is, you know, voted by Rolling Stone, and and I think that voted by a lot of people the greatest rock and roll album ever made. And I'm sure I'm just imagining in my head because we've always talked with him about the the Paul is dead stuff mm-hmm. and and how Sergeant Pepper relates to a lot of that. But just some of the other things that we could have talked with him about that some of the other stories that he would have known. I mean, I I think that it's when you look at it, you know, you could have George Martin, you could have. His son, what's his son's name? I forget. Um, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so you could have George Martin, George Martin's son who worked on the reissue here, and the Beatles themselves, and then Gary. Like, that's probably the, the, the list of who could tell you really some of the great inside stories of the making of that album. Yeah, and I, and I think that you also, like, lose the context of that as well. Like, you and I could you know, do the research and kind of have that episode, but we don't understand the context of some of that symbolism and what it meant at the time and how controversial, or at least how, like, it would have popped in the mind of someone hearing it 50, 50 years ago. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's the the thing that Gary brought to the table is he was a fan, first and foremost, of the music and of the artists and of the entire era and what they all stood for, and that passion bled through. I mean, you, you could tell when you talked to him that he wasn't just telling story, and even even as he's researching the Twenty Seven Club, and and for those who are unfamiliar with that reference, it's all of these artists who died at the age of twenty seven. Uh, even when he's researching that, 
he didn't just know on the surface the names. He didn't just memorize a list of names or look at a Wikipedia page to tell you who died at 27. He knew their work intimately and became a fan of their work. So this is a guy who could, you can directly connect as being a fan of the Beatles and, and Buddy Holly all the way to you know Nirvana. Right. And he would be able to say something like, now you know what else is weird? The guitarist who was there that day had a best friend and the best friend changed three lyrics of the song and it really made the song better and he died at 27 too like these mm-hmm. completely obscure parts of the 27 club as well as his other work where it wasn't just the the, the main characters but also the people behind the stage the people behind the recording studios the people behind the writing of it um and he would be able to make the connections between those people as well when it came to uh, like I said, especially I'm thinking the 27 Club. If you go and you look at the 27 Club, the way it is officially on on uh, out there on the internet, it's not the same as his because he was able to bring all these other people who are not even necessarily recognized as being names. Mm-hmm. And and he, you know, he it never lost. You know, the same way we talk about Lauren Coleman, never. You know, any any one of these uh, mass killings or anything like that. You know, he always immediately finds these obscure obscure connections and it's almost like instantaneously it's like an encyclopedic knowledge of how they connect it's the same right. with Gary and the 27 club because it wasn't like he had to go and start researching it and see these connections you know like it, it just was instant he already had those you know if he had that big picture uh, that big wall that you're talking about full of full of photos the yarn was already connecting from one photo to another yeah and i and i think also by doing that, he started to influence other people to look at 27, the way it appears in music, the way it appears in the music industry, and people have kind of taken the ball and just ran with it. He also, I mean, in some ways when you look at it, you know, he also kind of, I don't want to say glorified that, but he kind of was able to put it into perspective because we would always ask him, you know, why 27? And and he would have reasons behind it. It wasn't just an arbitrary thing. Because you can look at any age and you can say, well, how many artists have died at 47? And there's probably a good amount of those too. But there was context to these, uh, those who were part of the 27 Club because of what they were able to contribute and what they were able to mean. I mean, we're talking about, when we're talking about this, we're talking about people like going all the way back to Robert Johnson mm-hmm. and talking about Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones. We're talking about Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, you know, Pigpen McKernan. We're talking about people who were influential. We're talking about right. people like Kurt Cobain, who were the representation of an entire generation. And, and even Amy Winehouse, when we had him on to talk about Amy Winehouse's passing, you know, she was somebody who, who mattered quite a bit. And everybody knew that she had problems. Everybody knew that she was, you know, prone to uh, issues with narcotics and alcohol. But... It, it doesn't matter because she still represented something for a generation. Yeah, there was something mythical about those people, and there's something mythical about the number 27. You know, and, and that's that's kind of where the, where the connection lies. So it wasn't just a, a random arbitrary number. There's always been kind of power behind the number 27. And then here were these people who were larger than life, you know, at least the, the big headliner ones, who were... Um, there was something uh, to their mystique. It wasn't just that they were influential with rock. It was like there was a whole package to these. And, and you know, so there was something 
odd and um, ferial about the fact that they died at 27, which is such a mystic number. Do you feel, though, that... Uh, I mean, this is something that's going to live on. I mean, the fact that Gary won't be here with us anymore to chronicle the 27 Club, somebody's going to keep recognizing that, and somebody's going to kind of pick up that mantle for sure. Right. I've, yeah, it was very weird. I, I talked to him. I said, hey, you know, it's really weird. I got this comic book, because him and I were, were talking about you know working in the comic industry. And I got this comic book, and... It's all about the 27 Club. I'm like, I didn't really like it because it was, you know, I don't like where it went, but there was no mention of you whatsoever in it. And he was like, I don't even know the book that you're talking about. You know, so I sent him a link. He's like, oh, wow, that looks really cool. Um, I think that some uh, other people are going to pick up the mantle and continue the storytelling of that. I just, I just hope that when they do that, they reach back and kind of give tribute to someone who, you know, started it or at least recognized it. And I think that's an interesting point. Like, you know, it's not as if... Uh, uh, the, you know, the, the 20 years before or he, between the deaths uh, of kind of the original ones and him writing about it, you know, they, it wasn't there. You know, he, he didn't invent the 27 Club. He was just able to get that perspective and put it out there and publish it, and it caught on. Um, and so, you know, you... you you want you want the, the once again I always say this with you guys but the folklorist in me doesn't care about you know who starts these things or who's the first to document these things but you still kind of want that recognition for one of the huge figures in the field right and and if you are going to follow in the footsteps of somebody you have to recognize who it is whose footsteps you're following in because you know they blaze that trail they blaze that path and and he put himself out there too as some, because of, of just what type of a guy he was, if the wrong person had tried to start putting this all together, it would have been a sensational angle to it. Right. It would have been that TMZ angle to it. But because of just what a sweet, genuine guy he was, he was able to earn the trust of people who would talk to him and, and, and share information with him that if it was... And maybe because, too, he was an outsider. I mean, he wasn't writing for Rolling Stone. He was just an English teacher from Tennessee who was a fan first. And I think that that kind of won a lot of people over where, you know, if he was coming at this as, you know, like David Frick or one of these guys who had been in the business for a long time, they might be like, uh, yeah, you know, we know where you're going to go with this. I wonder, Tim, do you think that um, the fact that he was – writing kind of long form about this, you know, publishing books about this as opposed to tweeting it out or having a blog where he these quick hits. Do you think that had something to do with um, the staying power of the 27 Club? I think so. I think because when you look at it, it's not just, it's not an offhand thing for him. And I think for, if somebody didn't put the work in that he did and give it the depth that it had, it could have just been like an offhand reference. Oh, 27, now he's a member of the 27 Club. You know, instead, yeah. he gave us a reason why. And he brought it all the way. I know Robert Johnson wasn't, isn't the first, but he kind of was the first. And if you look at that and you look at being able to bring it back to that and it having a supernatural element, then otherwise it's just a bunch of junkies who overdosed at the age of 27 when they were famous. You know, that's right. how people would kind of look at it. But instead, bringing it back to Robert Johnson and that original story, which Gary always respected, whether or not he believes it or not, doesn't matter. He always respected the original legend of Robert Johnson selling his soul at the crossroads 
and then dying at the age of 27 and kind of always said, even without saying, maybe it's possible that these artists kind of, whether they knew it or not, were involved in the same kind of a bargain. Right, right. You know, or or at least whether him doing that had opened up some kind of uh, doorway uh, to this stuff happening to those specific kind of people, whether it's an invitation specifically to sell your soul or just like rock and roll was somehow tainted because of, of the bluesman who had sold his soul and then died at 27. Like it set some kind of template uh, that was going to be followed for the next 70, 80 years. When, you know, you had mentioned a few moments ago and, and we tweeted it out too about if there is a mystical power to the number 27, I think that for those who are involved in it, those who are involved in the music industry and and, and make it big, I think that it does carry a significance for them because I wonder if that's almost like a, a benchmark for artists, especially artists who are into the life of excess and say, or I should say excess, but they're into that life and they say, yeah, I know I party a lot. I know I can do this, but... You know, I made it to 28. Like, that must Yeah, be, I mean, it, it's, I'm it's trying to remember who it specifically was. I remember having that conversation with him where he said it was someone of modern times who was like, you know, heck, what do I care? I made it past 27. Mm-hmm. You know? So there, there definitely is that idea in, 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 in rock and roll. I'm not sure if it was someone connected to um, Kurt Cobain or it was someone re- even more recent than that who said, hey, at least I know I'm not going to be part of the 27 Club. Yeah, yeah. I remember him t- telling that story to us and, and referencing that other artists were referencing it. And maybe it was Jeff Buckley. Maybe Jeff Buckley Jr. I don't know. I know, then died. You know, like right after that. I know that. Um, I know that. Even Kurt Cobain referenced. You know that he knew he wasn't going to make it past twenty-seven. You know, and he would reference Jimi Hendrix and he would reference Janis Joplin and would talk about this. Now the yeah the, yeah I mean it's it's extended beyond just like you know it it is a pop culture reference and it's also probably like you said like it is a um, a goal <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna uh, you know live fast die hard and leave a good looking corpse like twenty seven is the like perfect age to get out of it and if you've done if you've gone beyond that I think the twenty seven club is enough of a landmark that it's like well I made it to twenty eight did did you see the documentary on Netflix. Uh, I think it was, it was called Soaked in Bleach, where they looked at the possibility that Kurt Cobain was murdered. Um, no, I saw it there, and I've kind of done some research on the the whole murder conspiracy, mm-hmm. but I did not see that specific one. I know that Gary was researching that a little bit, too, because he talked about it with us the last time that he was on, just in, referen- in passing reference about whether or not uh, Kurt Cobain was actually murdered. And, and I find that to be interesting, because here you have a guy who talked about being part of the 27 Club, and if somebody wants to off him... You know, that's a, a good time to do it because he's already kind of laid that groundwork of saying, you know, I expect to, to be part of this club someday. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, and it's, um, you know, and I think that that the conspiracies with uh, Jimi Hendrix that he's talked about in, in depth, the conspiracies with Kurt Cobain add, uh, create a, an added level of mystique to not only their legends, but the legend of the 27 club. You know, there are so many controversies that surround the actual deaths of these people 
at the age of 27 that it is like, is it the universe trying to do it or is it other forces that are trying to do it or is it just coincidence? If this is the universe at play, I mean, if the there is a, a, a greater guiding hand in all of this, then it's no surprise that Gary becomes wrapped up in that, you know, dying the day before Greg Allman and, and, uh, and, and, and dying on the day of the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. I mean, even his death has significance in his work. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to look at all of that and not think that there's something else at work, even if we can't fully understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a world of numbers. You can crunch numbers and look find signs anywhere you want. But sometimes there are just too many of them to actually just push off as just being coincidence or as just being like, well, you can make any kind of connection you wanted to. If you, you know... If you add his birthday numbers and subtract by the time he died, you can divide it by 27. Like, yeah, that's kind of reaching for things. But when you're talking about, you know, like I said, you know, two of the biggest things he's known for um, are, are, is documenting the Alma Brothers and talking about Sgt. Pepper. And he, especially, like I said, he was, you know, he was going to come on to talk about that stuff. And I reconnected with him because of the Alma Brothers. It's like, you know, not that I'm part of the whole mystique of everything that is him. But I'm sure if you were to ask other people who were associated with him, they could make those same connections between things that were happening personally between him and, like, the time, the specific time that he died. Well, I mean, as as we mentioned, you know, he was just – he was that type of a person, too, to always be there for people. I mean, he loved having the chance to talk about this stuff, and he loved having the chance to kind of dig deeper and, and ask some of those questions – even if it meant that he wasn't on a radio show or a television show doing it and it was just in a phone call or an email exchange, you know, he just, he loved to dig deeper. And, and what's lost about all this, you know, we're talking about him as a researcher and, and even as a human being, but he was just a great storyteller. Just to listen to, I mean, just the, the intonations in his voice and, and the accent and everything kind of came together to just being somebody that, you would just want to sit back and listen to him talk for hours, and there are a couple of shows where that's basically what we did, and that was our plan for 500. <laughs> yeah, and when he was on another show, um, you know, I would cheat on Spooky South Coast, and I would listen to him on other shows. Oh, as would I. <laughs> and it would be the same thing. Like, I, there wouldn't be that pressure of having to keep up with him, and so it was just like, all right, let me just drown in the pool that is Gary. And... And you could just like the you know the tone of his voice and the way that he spoke and the and the way that um, his passion for these things um, you could just kind of get caught up in it and kind of drift away with it. And that's how we first got involved with having him on the show was hearing him on coast to coast and and I think it was a matter of I think we both happened to hear the show when we were talking to each other about we got to get this guy on just because it was amazing stuff and just hearing him talk about it was you know. That's what this show was started for. Spooky South Coast wasn't started for us to to put out our own thoughts and theories about the paranormal. It was for us to be able to listen and bring to our audience, whoever they may be, some of these great researchers and storytellers that are out there. It was a challenge while interviewing him to not just go, whoa, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's cool, (laughs) but to actually have like a follow-up question or a guided question to, to get him going on to the next thing. And, and I think if you listen back to some of those uh, interviews of us, you can tell there are a long times where, where we're just going like, <laughs> that's awesome, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, because he had that. It was a challenge. To, it was both a challenge and a joy to interview him because you wanted to keep up with him and you wanted to get something out of him and you even wanted to get something new out of him that he just hadn't said before. 
Um, but you also were just mesmerized by him actually speaking and talking. And I don't want to toot our own horns, but you would you would hear him say when he came on a, on our show, you know, I haven't told anybody this story yet. I haven't shared this with anyone yet. He would share that kind of stuff with us, and I wouldn't hear him say that with any other interview except when he was on Coast to Coast. So, I mean, that made me feel right. good that he felt like we were – you know, important enough and, and that he felt comfortable enough with us to share some of these stories of things that he was working on that he might not be 100% ready to reveal to the world yet, but yet he trusted us enough with the information. And I like to think that we helped him as well because there are moments when we're interviewing him. Um, and, of course, like I said, you did one interview with him uh, without me. But there are inter- times when we're interviewing him where he doesn't uh, react to uh, our question but rather is thoughtful as if, and then he'll say, well, that was a good question. I haven't thought about that. Well, and then he'll start on something in that, you know, like hopefully we pulled stuff out of him or helped him make connections by the questions we asked him. And that's, you know, that's kind of like, like you said, that's what Spooky South Coast is for, is to present these people, but then also to act as the avatar for the audience that you always say. I love that that phrase. Um, to ask the questions that we think other people would want to know. And I think by doing that with Gary we were able to get him maybe to think of some things he hadn't thought and make some connections he hadn't thought um, and, and to then be able to kind of present those and hopefully make that part of like his storytelling going forward. It's amazing to me that in the course of you know 11 years now of doing the show that we well, we can actually look at some, some areas where we might have left a fingerprint. And I know that, you know, you always argue with me that there's more fingerprints out there than I like to admit or that I'll allow myself to admit. But at least we know with him that we left a fingerprint with him because he enjoyed us and he considered us friends and he enjoyed coming on this show. And if I can make somebody who I admire like coming on the product that we're putting out, that to me is a sign of his success. More than more than however many people might listen, how many people might download the podcast, having people that when you say to them, we'd like you to come back on, and they say without hesitation, absolutely, just let me know when. You know, that's when you know that you're doing something right. So I've always I've always used Gary as one of the guideposts, not only as a researcher, but also as a host, to say, well, if this guy wants to come back again and again, I must not be too bad at this. Yeah, I mean, you know, once again, when you had him on your your old morning show for the Beatles, he could have done any show that day, mm-hmm. you know? And and not only that, but he did that show. It was an amazing show. I remember listening to it. I was on the I was on my you know watching my son play tennis, and just being blown away. And then he immediately was like, "Yes, and I want to come on Spooky South Coast." Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, "Oh God, yes, I've talked to you already. We've done this already." Like it was immediate. Um, and I, I wish that we could share some of the conversations that we had. Um, either off the air or like in in messages, they like the show would end and then we would just keep talking. Right, and even that last show, you know, it just kept going. And I and I made it a point to say, Gary, I'm not going to lose touch this time. You know, we're going to have you back on. We're going to work on something because he always wanted to work on stuff with us. And yeah, and we always were kind of like, when why not? equal to you. We're not worthy to work on things with you. And so we never actually followed through on the chance, and, and I wish that we had, because I just wish that we'd had more time with him. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've I've kind of danced around, like, how him and I kind of stopped talking, but a lot of it had to do with, like, it was in, in the post-para uh, relations day, 
days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, basically approached him with, I want to represent you. Um, and I want to get your name out there more. And I want to kind of redesign and rebrand you in Canada. And he was 100% for it, you know? And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> like, right. I can't do, like, he's huge, you know? And, I, and I'm, I'm not personally or professionally, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. It's too much. And then he came back with, um, you know, oh, and then we'll do this and this and this. And I happen to know the, the person who owns the Seattle Supersonics and he wants to do this. And then I was like, okay, overwhelmed. And I just kind of cut it off, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of person he was is like, once you inspired him, once you hit something, it sparked him to automatically want to do a project about it, you know, and, and, and it automatically considered equals. You know, we had talked about, you know, the last time he was on, our theme was going to be cemeteries. And just by mentioning that to him, he was like, oh, you know what? We should start to get working on a project together where we focus on these cemeteries and you can focus on the paranormal side and I'll focus on the legends behind music side. And it was like almost as if his mind was just always going about what's the next thing that we can create, the next art we can create and push out there to people. Well, the first television project that I worked on, Ghost Talkers, when that had wrapped and we were waiting to find out what the future of that was and production companies were saying, all right, what other ideas do you have? I had reached out to him and I said, Gary, I'd like to craft something for you. I know that you know, you've know, you had some experience with television. Some things have started and stopped. Some things have you know, not gone as far as you wanted. I kind of want to craft something that would be just for you and that we can you know, talk about it and kind of feel what we think would be a good fit for you. And he actually said to me, he's like, you know me, you know my work, I trust you completely, any idea that you have, I'm on board. Wow. And that, you know, that meant to me, like, okay, here's a guy who I consider a hero who is like, I trust you with, you know, the direction of where my career could go. But he's letting me yeah, pitch him with his name. Yeah, and I, I struggle with, like, was that genuine? You know, like, that was the dilemma I had. Like, was that just his easy way of just being to everybody? Or was this, like, you know, was I or were we special to him? You know? I don't know. I, like I said, I was very emotional last Saturday thinking of those kinds of things. Like, you know, what exactly was the nature of it? Like, you were so e- he was so eager to work with us. Was he just like that with everybody? Or was there something special about us that, like... Well, triggered him. Maybe some of our listeners out there have had similar experiences with Gary. Maybe they're just fans of his work. Maybe we just need to uh, kind of all kind of work through our emotions on this together. You can call in at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Coming up in the next hour, we'll have some people that are going to call in and join in and share their memories of Gary and, and his work and how it mattered to them and influenced them. And we, as I mentioned, we welcome your calls as well, even if it's just to say, Hey, you know, it really sucks when we lose somebody who we admire and who gave so much. So we invite you all to come back and do that. Uh, I am going to take a break here. I don't know what's going on on the uh, radio side of things. The The Red Sox are still going on. Uh, I believe the game is over, so they're in the post-game show. But uh, I am going to take a brief break coming up for us so that we can kind of reset things a little bit. And when we come back on the other side, we will talk more about Gary, I think um, Matt, you're gonna just run some. Can you run some music just for a minute or two? All right, so we're gonna do that on the YouTube stream, and then we'll come back in just a few minutes with more Spooky South Coast streaming live on the Spooky South Coast app and on YouTube. We'll be back in just a few.
two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, and Chris Balzano is also with us as well. So with us, Chris. Oh, I think I... That's my bad. You still with us, Chris? Yep. Okay, just wanted to make sure that you can still hear me. Because now we are switched over. We are now broadcasting live on WBSM, as well as on the Spooky South Coast app and on YouTube. And we are talking tonight, uh, normally, if you are a fan of Spooky South Coast, or even if you're new to the program, normally what we talk about is the paranormal. We do it every Saturday night, broadcasting live here on WBSM and on SpookySouthCoast.com and on the Spooky South Coast app. Uh, Tonight, though, we are paying tribute to one of our favorite guests of all time. We are paying tribute to our Gary Patterson who spent years researching rock and roll legends and curses and has been a frequent guest on Spooky South Coast going all the way back to the very beginning of the show. He was one of our first dream guests, and uh, and we were very honored to develop a friendship with him over the years. And uh, we are sharing memories of Gary and his work tonight, and you can do so as well. You can call in and share your memories of Gary at 508-996-0500. 877-996-1420. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can join us on Twitter. You can join us in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com where the live video stream is going on. If you want to just share some of your memories or just kind of come and commiserate with us in the loss of, uh, of just one of our favorite people. It doesn't even matter like his research and his work and his, his ability as a storyteller. He was just a great person and a great friend of the show for all these years. So we'll be remembering Gary tonight. And uh, we just want to let everybody know just about a couple of things that are coming up. If you are looking to have some paranormal fun in the summertime, I know that it's one of those things where it's associated more with the fall, but there's a lot of things going on this summer that you can take part in. One of those is the Middleborough Paracon, that's coming up on Saturday, June 24th, and it's happening at Middleborough Town Hall. So you can actually go and attend this. It's a free event. It's free to get in, and myself and Stephanie from the Spooky South Coast Show will be lecturing there, as well as Ken DaCosta of Rise Up, John Brightman, Sherry D. Benetendi of ben- Benedetti, i got to say it right, of Ghost Hunters, and Mark Arvola. They'll all be there. Uh, lecturing as well, and it's all built around the Nick Groff Tour event that's happening at the Oliver House that night. Now, if you go to the Middleborough Paracon, you know, Nick's not going to be there. He's doing his own event, but this is kind of being built around that. So there's going to be live music, there'll be snacks, there'll be drinks, there'll be presentations, there'll be psychic and tarot readings, paranormal teams, local authors, unique vendors, all that stuff will be happening at the Middleborough Paracon Saturday, June 24th from 10 to 4 p.m., outside of the Middleborough Town Hall, which is haunted. So you'll get your chance to go and check that out. Uh, if, if you want to purchase tickets to Nick's event, I think there are still some available at nickgroftour.com. So you could still get in to the Oliver House investigation that night, and you'd still be able to take part in that. And then coming up in July, if you want to keep having paranormal fun all summer long, July 15th and 16th will be the Ocean State Paracon at the Assembly Theater in Harrisville, Rhode Island. And, of course, we'll be talking more about this as, as it gets closer, but a great group of guests there. They've uh, taken kind of some of the usual folks that come to Ocean State Paracon and expanded the roster to involve even more people 
that will be there as well. So you can go to the Rise Up Paranormal website to find out more about that and to get your tickets if you want to take part in the Ocean State Paracon and go and check it out for yourself. Uh, again, as I mentioned, there is so many different things going on as part of that. Tickets are available. You can get them online right now. $12.67 online to purchase ahead of time to go out and see people like Andrea Perrin, Dustin Parry, Samantha Hawes, Sherry D. Benatendi. i got to start saying it right. Benedetti. I just keep <laughs> butchering it every time. And uh, Keith and Sandra Johnson, Joe Chin, Carl Johnson, Roz Bound will be there, Krista Chesery, the Gettysburg Ghost Girls, me and Stephanie, and John Brightman, and, and Chuckles the Clown is there, Matt. You know how I feel about Chuckles the Clown. Sometimes sometimes he scares me. So uh, all that more. Uh, $12 per day, $20 for the weekend, $5 for kids 12 and under, all benefiting the Rhode Island Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So just a couple of great things that we can get involved with this summer to keep the paranormal fun happening even in the nice warm weather. So we will get back to our topic tonight, which is remembering our Gary Patterson. And uh, we have joining us on the line, I believe we have him on here right now. Old Hip, are you with us? I'm here. Hello, sir. How are you? Well, shocked still. It's, it's been kind of a rough week. It has been, and, and as I had mentioned earlier, I don't know if you heard, but you know, Chris had told me, he had sent me a text about this while I was on the Paranormal Cruise, and I had no way to kind of connect over the Internet. I could get messages, but I couldn't send them back. So for a week now, I haven't been able to really uh, commiserate with anyone on this, so I'm glad that we could kind of all get together tonight and remember Gary. Uh, definitely, and you know, I find it to be kind of uh, not only strange, but just definitely appropriate that him and Greg Allman died within 24 hours of each other. Yeah, that was very strange. Uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence, though. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about how the universe kind of works in weird ways. He dies the day before mm-hmm. Greg Allman. He dies on the 50th anniversary of the release of Sgt. Pepper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a little bit about me. I've been doing this, uh, internet radio now for, well, since 2006. And, uh, Gary was one of my first people I interviewed. And, um, I had an extensive radio experience before internet radio. And so him and I had a love of music and myths and legends. And, the one thing I miss most is the show after the show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where the audience goes home and it's just him and I were kicked back and we're swapping stories. And he was just, he was such a wonderful individual. I think I interviewed him between 20 and 30 times over the past decade. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, he was one of my best friends. I remember when I saw the news that he had passed away, I automatically went to his page because there's so much hoaxes going on. Right. And he's one of those people that's like, oh, no, not Gary. Um, and I did not even know that he had been sick. Um, I did have the special pleasure of uh, contacting his brother. actually got in contact with me, and I was able to speak with his brother. And uh, we were able to uh, share some stories and just much love there. 
and for such a wonderful individual. Was that the case? Had had he been sick? Um, yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly how much of it I should go into. Sure, right. But he had been sick. Um, there was some gallbladder problems, and um, he had been diabetic for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it's all in. It's all related to that. I guess that's maybe about as much as I can really go into. No, sure, understand. It's all related. And um, you mentioned being able to, you know, the conversations that you would have have with him after the audience wasn't listening. But the great thing about Gary was that the audience were always friends to him too. You know, he always felt like those who were listening and and enjoying his work were kind of along for the ride with him, and and were just as much of a part of of the story as him telling it. Oh, definitely. Um, I was telling um, Chris here last week, I had another really interesting thing that happened. Gary was almost like a a, um, a mystic himself. Really strange things happened. Um, I had, of course, all of his books in my collection. And over the years, I loaned them out and he'd come up missing because he was such a wonderful author and such great um, material for him to write on, they just come up missing. And so I decided to go on Amazon and get new books. Well, I had um Take a Walk on the Dark Side came by, and um, it actually been personalized by Gary to his aunt. Oh, wow. And, and it said something along the line of, Thank you for all those nights you stayed up with me for Shock Theater, Gary. <laughs> so, of course, when I saw that, I knew I had to return it to him, so I reached out to him on Facebook, and I said, Hey, brother, I have a book here you may want back. And it turned out his aunt had died a couple of years ago. <laughs> and it's like, wow, what a what a trip this book has gone through. As a matter of fact, he said, what a long, straight trip it's been for that book. And um, I was supposed to send it back to him, and I feel really bad. I never got around to doing it. So uh, yeah. I think what I'm going to end up doing, I think I'm going to end up keeping the book. It's kind of like a special connection between me and Gary. No, definitely. Especially where, you know, you know he was somebody who... I just always felt like with him, it wasn't so much about the researching of the story and the telling of the story as much as it was, you know, how much the story could make someone appreciate the artist more. You know, these stories didn't exist just to tell weird stories. They existed because he wanted his love of, of these musicians to rub off on the next generation or the next person to discover their music. Uh-huh. Definitely. I think the... Another kind of a really weird coincidence here for you. The last conversation I had with Gary was that Greg Allman was supposed to have been gone into hospice. And uh, Gary says, oh, I hope that's not true. And I remember telling him, well, you know, with the Internet, you never know. And that was actually the last conversation I had with him was about Greg Allman going into hospice. Hmm. Old Hip, you, you said you talked to his brother. Is his brother's name Peter? No, Michael. Michael. Um, mm-hmm. When you were kind of having your conversation with him, um, did his family 
um, understand just what a what a big source of inspiration he was to people out there? His brother seemed number one. He seemed really touched that I'd reached out. Um, um, just because I, I felt like I needed to make connection because um, Gary and I had such. Well, I felt like we had such a connection. Um, I just right. felt a really strong desire to reach out, and his brother just said, you know, Gary was one of those special people. Um, you never left his presence without feeling like you were his friend. Yeah. You know, and they seemed to be blown away that Gary had such an influence on people. And, um, you know, I've been reading on his Facebook page, the students, because, you know, Gary was a history teacher. And uh, the students that went by his page and was giving him honor. And, yeah, uh, that's what struck me know, too, old hat. You know, uh, we're going to miss you, Mister P. And what a wonderful influence he was. Um, I know I would have loved to have had him as my teacher. Oh right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I would love to. I would love to have my students honor me that way. <laughs> if if uh, mm-hmm. if and when something happens to me, and and the other thing, um, hip that I that I noticed with those postings is that it ran. Not only the gamut of uh, outreach uh, in terms of like you know love and honor and respect, and he did this for me, very specific things, but then also just in general, like he influenced me more than any other teacher. Then the age range, you know, you really get to see that his teaching career spanned decades, and that he was able to um, to put his his print on so many different people of different generations by how long. Uh, and how well that he taught. Uh-huh. And uh, definitely, uh, and you know, he, he actually retired like just two years ago. So he right. had not actually mm-hmm. been out for, for perfection for very long. Yeah, um, because, you know, one of the things when, when we had first started talking to him was I was like, you know that idea we had to Skype our classrooms together? And he's like, oh, he's like, I've 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 just reti- recently retired. So that was one of the plans we had that we never got to to actually uh, get out there and do. Mm-hmm. And I know the last time I spoke to him, he was actually talking about he was going to be writing another book. Right. And um, I don't know exactly how how far along he got with that, or if there is a chance that this book may end up showing up on our bookshelf one day. Um, I guess we can hope. Oh, absolutely. Um, but um, he was just, like I said, he was. I know that at no time did I ever call him up and ask him to be a guest on one of my shows that he ever turned me down. Right. We were saying that earlier. We were saying how, you know, the night that Amy Winehouse died, you know, he, he came on Spooky South Coast knowing that he had to go on coast to coast in just a little while, but he still found time for us and to come on and join us. And, and, and on the 50th anniversary of the Beatles arriving in America, he did my Saturday morning show and did our Spooky South Coast show at night. I mean, he was one of the most accommodating people. I think he just loved having people that he could talk about with these with these topics. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, you know, there was not a sense of... Um, ego about him no i mean he was a wonderful person and you know get nicknamed the fox Mulder of rock and roll <laughs> um, right that's pretty high praise but there was no ego about him ego was the last thing i would think that gary patterson had 
we were. Um, I was saying we were saying earlier that we were supposed to have him on, you know, next week for our 500th episode, only because he was our favorite guest, and that was going to be our, you know, big anniversary treat to ourselves was to have him come on and share some of these stories with us. And I, I think it says a lot to him as a person that, you know, George Norrie loved him, you loved him, we uh, anybody that ever talked to Gary just fell in love with the guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. even if, you know, the other thing I loved about him, even if he had a um, disagreement with you, it never got ugly. He never took it personal or made it personal. I remember when um, him and Joseph Nisgata, um were talking about John Lennon. Mm-hmm. At no time did Gary ever make it personal. And he still respected what Joseph had to say, even though he disagreed with him to the extreme. Um, he never made it personal. He never thought of it. He never made it personal. And that just always blew me away. And Chris, you were saying... Uh... Oh, um, I was going to say just to, you know, to imagine what that man's Rolodex was and to not have an ego is pretty amazing. Oh, definitely. And and anybody who actually can say that he's actually played a few licks on Dwayne's Shadowcaster, <laughs> <laughs> you know that was yeah. And, and he would and he would about. say those things just in passing. He never said like, "And you know what I did?" Didn't it was never the story that he was telling you was about what had happened, not his involvement in it, even when he was what? telling you stories that were involving him. He would tell you stories like in disbelief, like, I can't believe I got the chance to do this, you know, because he never, he never saw himself as, he, he always saw himself as just a fan of the, of the music and the musicians, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I'm definitely going to miss him. Um, I... I, there's just not enough words to say. Um, I feel empty. The world is actually colder than Gary's gone. Definitely. I'll say that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. Well, we thank you, but, sir, uh, for, for joining us. Uh, do you? And now, I know that you said you're kind of out of the radio game, but uh, can people find some of your past interviews with Gary? Is there a place where they can look to find some of these? I am actually looking through them now to see what I'm able to dig up. And... Uh, Definitely will send word to you um, if and when I'm able to find anything. I'm just not sure. I have all these hard drives with different shows on them. And um, I guess it gives me an excuse to go searching through them and see what's there. Oh, please let us know. And if there's anything we can do to help you get them out there, help you get them up on the Internet and dispersed out to people, we'll be glad to do so. Okay, I appreciate it. And I will turn in. I will tune in more often now, I promise. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, and great talking with you about these memories of Gary. Thank you very much, and Mike. As, and as always, everybody, pleasant nightmares. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great night. Goodbye, all. That is the the man known as Old Hip. Uh, you know him as Old Hip. We also known as as Mike Mike Johnson. So, and he's in the chat room. So, if anybody wants to uh, discuss with him uh, some of his memories of Gary, there as well, you can do so by jumping on our live stream at spook at spookysouthcoast.com and also on the Spooky South Coast app as well. If you want to check it out there, 
Uh, I want to say hi to everybody that is joining us for the first time. M- made a lot of new friends on the cruise this past week, uh, and I've made a lot of new friends at some of the Paracon events we've been doing recently who are starting to tune into the Spooky South Coast for the first time. And just to remind everybody, tonight is a tribute episode to our Gary Patterson, the number one most favorite guest on Spooky South Coast of all time. Chris, we've been lucky over the years to be able to talk to some of our heroes. You know, there's there's still shows that I remember getting goosebumps for when we started talking mm-hmm. to people. Uh, and over the years, you know, we've talked to some of the greats. I mean, we were one of the final interviews for Gary. We were one of the final interviews for uh, Bud Hopkins. You know, we've had the chance to talk to... Jim Mars, you know, people who I idolized as I was growing up and, and reading about all this weird stuff. Brad Steiger, you know, all these people. John Zappas yeah. that we've had on the show over the years. But nobody held a place in our hearts as much as our Gary Patterson. Yeah, and, and you know, like I said, I was ignorant before I, before I listened to the first show of him. I was so familiar with his work and yet couldn't put a, a voice to the work or a name to the work or a face to the work. Um and then once I did, I was completely in love, and it was like, yeah, it, it was a, it was um, a huge deal for me to then be able to interview him with you guys, and then to maintain a friendship um, because of that, and because of because of other connections that we had. So it was huge, yeah. I mean, it was um, he's definitely on my Mount Rushmore of researchers as well as guests. And as we said before, you know, he definitely had an influence on on us as a researcher and the way that we kind of said, okay, it doesn't matter if we get to the truth of the story and that, you know, maybe we can. Maybe maybe sometimes we can find out the truth and we find out that the journey to find that truth is, is more interesting or the legend that's developed around it is more interesting. But maybe sometimes we just give up and say, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's just a legend and we can report it as such. And I don't know if it was overt or kind of just something that happened subconsciously, but that seeped into both of our work. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, that happened after meeting and talking with Gary. Well, you know, meeting virtually and, and, and talking over the phone and such with Gary. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as a role model, if you see someone um, who is successful and who's doing it well, and who is really, um, like I said, even if the name is not known, the information and the and the stories are known, uh, rise to the top like that, then it kind of gives you an allowance to be able to say, you know what, like, maybe I don't need to do it this way, maybe I can do it that way, or, you know, the next step of that is, or do it the way that I want to do it, which is the way that he did it. Like, he never in conversations with him in the interviews um, ever was hesitant that the way that he was going about it was wrong. Um, it was effective for him. It was the way that he wanted to tell it, and so that that's, that's how he was telling it, you know? And for someone who has been on so many TV shows and have been, like, the creative force behind so many, so many TV shows, I don't know anyone who has worked on TV that much that I've talked to who didn't complain about the way that their stuff was presented. Uh, and the way that their stuff was edited, and the way that their stuff was um, uh, put out there to the public, you know, like, oh, they changed this about it, they changed that, and I know that they changed stuff uh, that he said, and I know that they, you know, selectively cut interviews with him to get their point across. I'm thinking of the, you know, E did a, a something a few years ago where they brought him on, but they were talking about, like, the 
uh, it was a Halloween episode, and they were talking about like the 13 weirdest things about Hollywood. And they totally cut up his interview, and the guy didn't complain about it. He was just happy that his stuff was out there, and that like he was able to kind of help mold things. I'm just, you know, just scrolling through his his Facebook page, as, as old hit mentioned, and and going through some of the, uh, you know, the mentions that people had. I mean, just going to his to the guest book on his online obituary, and you know, just seeing people say things like, you know, I will miss you, my friend. You're that special teacher that made all the difference in choices I made in my life, and you took the time for me and really made me think I will always remember all the good you have done. I pray for your family to have peace and comfort in this difficult time. Somebody else, uh, Daryl, great teacher who reached out to all students regardless of popularity, economic class, gender, race, etc. He made learning fun, and you couldn't wait to attend his class and have him pass on his wealth of knowledge to you and your classmates. Glad I got to have him as a teacher. Uh, S- Michelle, so blessed to have had Mr. Patterson as my teacher. He encouraged us to think outside the box and not assume that things were as clear as they appeared. I still remember the many countless hours studying, memorizing acts and quotes from Shakespeare for our senior English exams. He also made world history so much fun that I became enthusiastic about learning everything I could about history. See, I didn't even realize that he also taught world history. Yeah, I always thought of him as a history teacher. I didn't, I didn't even realize that he taught English as well. Oh, all the discussions I had with him was about English class. So I just <laughs> assumed he was an English teacher. But that's what's amazing is that, you know, just, ima- just imagine, like, learning Shakespeare from Gary or, or learning, you know, about the ancient civilizations of the world from Gary. It, just, it must have been mind-blowing for these, for these folks who were lucky enough to have him as a teacher. You know, and being a teacher and... The way that you have to present things, the way that you have to construct things so that you're not just giving facts and dates, that had to have had a huge influence on the way that he wrote and the way that he was a storyteller. Like, I think those two things played with each other. Like, you know, how him being a storyteller influenced his teaching, but also the way that he was a teacher influenced the way that he was a storyteller and a writer. And I think that when you can reach out to people and and make that connection i mean people are saying i never would have graduated if it wasn't for him i never would have become so enthusiastic about learning if i wasn't for him those are just the people that had him in the classroom imagine what his impact as as a as a guest on radio programs and on television must have had for other people as well yeah i mean you know i've tried to communicate with George Norrie before about different things on kind of all those he actually felt the need to reply to us when we approached him to come on the show and talk for us a little bit like that says something that you know he realized that you know you go that's that's amazing you guys are doing that but I can't make it I'm going to be on a plane at that time you know so he actually responded to us as opposed to you know ignoring me which he always does Right. And cutting me off. Right. No 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 big time in this one. But one of the one of the things that I find most fascinating about teachers that can reach out to kids is that like the great teachers that obviously it's different for you, Chris, because you're a teacher, so you've incorporated things that you picked up from some of the great teachers that you had over the years, I'm sure, whether knowingly or subconsciously. But when things that great teachers taught you impact you in everyday life and, and, and who you are as a person, that is the sign of somebody who was doing it for the right reason. You know, They didn't just do it because they wanted summers off. They didn't just do it because, hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, These are people that had a passion for imprinting a worldview on younger people. And, and I think that, he, that Gary did a fantastic job of showing people that 
life is more than what it seems, sure, but sometimes it isn't. But you can still have fun hoping that it is, that there is more than that. You know, and I'm thinking of the whole, you know, great Beatles death clues stuff. You know, there's nothing to that. Paul McCartney isn't Billy Shears or William Shears Campbell or whatever. You know, he is Paul McCartney, but that doesn't mean that it isn't fun. And there's no harm in just having that fun. Yeah, I remember working with, uh, when I was in college, working with a writer who was the most amazing, she was a beautiful writer, but her stuff didn't have any substance to it. And so I was like, you know, if you made these symbols, if you made these, like, you know, allegories for what's going on in the story, like, if you tilted that, then your work would be so much better. Um, And I think that there's something to training the mind to be critical. You know, she was doing it because it, it was beautiful imagery, I was saying make it symbolic. If you have that skill and then you can develop that skill in other people, this may not be true, but play with Well, I think we lost you a little bit there, Chris. We'll wait and see if uh, Chris comes back in. Uh, just a little bit of a, you know, we have Chris over Skype tonight, so it is, uh, you know, we are subject to the technology and if it works, but uh, we'll keep, We'll keep the line active until he tells us uh, if he dropped off or not. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting, too, is that uh, Old Hip just mentioned in the chat room that, you know, now Gary knows the answers to these questions. You know, he knows if the walrus was Paul. He knows about John Lennon. He knows about Robert Johnson. He knows about these things. And all all I can think of, Chris, is, you know, I was just saying that old hip had posted in the chat room that, you know, Gary now knows the answers to these questions. But all I can also think of is that song by, uh, what was the Righteous Brothers, I think it was, where, you know, they have a hell of a band talking about all the artists who had died and were now yeah. up in heaven. And now he gets to be there. And instead of being in the front row as a fan, I bet you that Gary is on stage getting to play alongside his heroes. <laughs> with with a pick in one hand and then a notebook in the other, making quick <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like uh, notations and and uh, uh, telling the tale of what's going on. I would love to think that. Yes, I also you know I remember him as being somebody who would always be willing to talk about the subject of ghosts, but didn't have a lot of background in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly had no problem sharing some of the legends of some of these rock and roll ghosts. I wonder. Do you think that in in our future travels and our future journeys, do you think that we'll hear from Gary? Um, I would love to. I would love to. I would love to try to uh, do a legend trip on on Gary, but I wouldn't know where to go about it. I didn't know. I wouldn't know where he was most influential in the school, um, you know, at his house or. But you know, I, I think that if we are connected to him, then 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 maybe he would reach out to us because I, I think when it comes to the ghost side of things. Uh, he was probably most connected to us, <laughs> you know, because right. we were so focused on the ghosts and the paranormal that that he might uh, he might reach out to, to to Mike Johnson. He might reach out to us about those kind of things because we were both of those. We played in both of those playgrounds with him. I think we're going to see, you know, little things. You know, when 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 a loved one dies or when a friend dies, you know, you see these little signs that they're still around, and I think we're going to see a lot of those signs with Gary. There's going to be a lot of little things that are going to make us think of him, and it's just kind of his way of saying, hey, you know, just to let you know, 
I'm still around and I'm still thinking of you and, and hopefully you're still thinking of me, you know, and I, it's, it's going to be hard not to think of him every time I hear a Beatles song or an Almond Brothers song or I hear somebody from the 27 Club. It's always going to be at the forefront of my mind and, and at least for a small group of people, he is now one of those legends, whether he, whether he would ever want to admit it or not. Yeah, I think he would have a very hard time uh, admitting that he was a legend or that he was uh, as influential um, because he downplayed it in his professional career. He downplayed it uh, as a teacher. He was kind of like, well, this is just what I do. Um, but I like to think that, you know, and, and maybe that's part of our responsibility, those of us who uh, were close to him uh, or considered him friends but who also, you know, are out there to the public is to, to keep the spirit of what he was doing alive. And to, to try to make those connections that, that he kind of made and, and not only put out the material that he was putting out, but also to kind of keep him as as, uh, as a muse as we go forward and do what we do. Do you feel, too, that, it, you know, we said before that it's going to be hard to find somebody else that can pick up the mantle of what he did, but there's going to be somebody who comes along at some point who becomes the R. Gary Patterson of... You know, our generation. Somebody's going to be looking right. at the music of the 80s and the 90s and following some of those legends and stories. And then subsequently that'll happen from now on. And I feel like it'll be hard, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody that can do it with the same amount of passion that he did, but also with the same ability to tell the stories just for what they are. You know, instead right. of instead of having to have all, I, I think now that'll be lost is the reverence for these artists, and because we see gossipy things come out all the time, it's going to be hard to find somebody who understands right, and and to find somebody who knows how to do it with a way that is also even dis, you could be telling the weirdest story about the strangest thing that you know somebody was into that nobody knew about, but there's still a respect there when you're telling that story. Yeah, and that's you know that's one of the conversations that I think we had last with him was the um, it's hard to uh, have reverence for the music today because it does come at you so uh, so quickly, the stories behind things come at you so quickly that there is no time to reflect. You know, we're constantly in a react mode as opposed to a reflect mode, and so um, there is a mystique that has been lost about music. Um, there's reputation, there's, you know, maybe, um, the, what, what is it, the SQ hit of, 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 of people's, like, knowledge of, 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 of certain stars, but there really isn't, like, a mystique, there's no fertile ground for urban legends anymore, and so, you know, they've gotta be out there, they've gotta, they've gotta be, um, there has to be interesting things that are alive today, with the people who are in front of our faces uh, as celebrities. But what it's just going to be really hard to get a replacement to find that because there is this ocean of quick-hit media and being known all the time for everything you do. Well, and that's the thing. is One of the, one of the things about the newer generation of artists is you know, we know what they're thinking 24 hours a day. They're putting up videos right. on YouTube. They're tweeting. And, and people have a direct connection to them now, whether or not they, you know, you could tweet your favorite artist a, a thousand times a day and might never hear back from them. But a, a lot of fans do feel more connected with these artists now, and there's more of a, more attention paid to them than there was in the 60s and 70s. So you have, because of just the culture of celebrity, so you have all of these ways to kind of follow along with them that you couldn't do back then. But I almost think like, the stories that could come out about this generation are going to be even more 
interesting because it's stuff that we never heard, even in this you know total information overload society. Right. There's an illusion of transparency, but I think that there's stuff out there that we don't know. You know, like um, you know, I, I've heard this discussion a lot this week when they talk about um, when they talk about. Uh, um, the difference between Michael Jordan and LeBron James Mm -hmm. and how there's no way that Michael Jordan would have been able to get away with things that he got away with if he was living in LeBron James's time, you know? And we know everything that these guys do now. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't think we know everything that these guys do because, you know, the, um, your, your stealthness, I think can adapt to environments as well. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going on that is below the surface that we think we see. We, we, we praise and we, and we uh, enjoy this veneer of, of this trans, you know, apparent transparency, but I think that there's stuff in there, and it really is going to take someone to dig into that and to get into that stuff. Well, and, and with social media and with this constant spotlight, it's easier for them to uh, you know, shape and control their own public persona. So if if you're putting out, you know, I'm just going to use for an example, you know, there's a a famous television paranormal investigator who is constantly on social media, like sharing every thought and having all of his fans, you know, interact with him. And then you hear one of these stories about what he's like in real life and, and people won't believe it because, well, you know, he's such a nice guy on Twitter. And right. so that kind of just makes people say, well, then it can't be true because he's nice on Twitter. Right. That doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? That's Did not, you hear what he said about this? That's not the person. Did you see that picture of him with the puppy? That's not the person I know, even though you don't really know them and you just feel like you do because you read 50,000 tweets a day. Right. I wonder what it would take to get that kind of, uh, to, to, to break that facade, you know. Uh, Gary was t- writing about things that had happened years ago. Is it going to take 20 years of perspective to finally get at, you know, like what exactly, you know, the musicians of today were doing or the, or the, or the mythology behind them? You know, to, to some degree, it was alive and well when it was happening, but he was really documenting it years later. So I wonder whether we're going to be able to, to get that in the future as opposed to like right now. And when you think about it, Gary's work fit into a show like Coast to Coast, you know, because they are covering all different kinds of of topics. They've gone away from, you know, being the paranormal show in the George Norrie era and kind of just become the, we talk about all different kinds of topics and we focus a lot on strange and unusual things, but, you know, they're not solely, they would never classify themselves as paranormal talk radio. They call themselves overnight talk radio. But to come on a show like us, where we are clearly a paranormal show, and to follow along those paranormal lines like Gary did, some re- researchers might shy away from that and say, oh, no, I'm just talking about some of the things that are weird legends, but they're not paranormal, because paranormal would mean that I'd have to actually believe that they're all true. And he never let that tag get in the way of what it is that he did. He actually embraced it, whereas you know other people that were in his position might not. And he would give you a bone every once in a while, like his story about the the dirt from the crossroads and and things like that. You know, he he was talking about what he was talking about, but he was like, 
what kind of show is this? Ghost show? All right, well, let's focus on cemeteries, or let's talk about unusual deaths, and maybe, you know, things from beyond that, that we got. Or let me tell you this ghost story about, like, my, you know, the weird things that happened when I got this dirt. So, you know, he knew how to cater to his audience as well as kind of have his base and his foundation. Well, if anyone, again, wants to call in and share any stories, 508 996 Those are the numbers to call in and share. Uh, you can also join us in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. If you download our app or if you already have our app, you can catch it right there. It's easy to find. Uh, it's right there under the live broadcast. And you can catch us on Twitter as well or email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You know, we try to be as accessible as we can, especially during the show, for people to want to join in with the discussion. Chris, I, I, I don't want to just completely change gears from talking mm-hmm. about Gary, and, and I do want to continue discussing him throughout the night and certainly welcome anybody to call in and share thoughts or memories of our Gary Patterson. But I want to talk to you about this because the subject came up this week. Uh, you know, While I was on the cruise, the cruise was the Strange Escapes, Witching You Were Here, cruise through the Bermuda Triangle. So we left from Salem. We sailed out of Boston. We went through the Bermuda Triangle to Bermuda, and then back through the triangle again to come back up to New England, to Boston. And there was a discussion on board. Uh, the Greg and Dana Newkirk, who are, or Dana Matthews and Greg Newkirk, as they are known professionally, they're the ones who run the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, and they run the Week in Weird website and the Planet Weird website. And they were there as part of the event. They gave a presentation on window areas. And they gave a, a, okay. a, a good talk on all these different places where there are st- things that are strange and unusual. And, you know, of course, referencing the Bridgewater Triangle as part of that as well. But while we were there and we were going through, we figured, hey, you know, when are you going to get the chance to be on a cruise ship in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle with a nice clear night? So we went out and we looked for UFOs. Uh, John Tenney had some occultist friends back in Detroit that were actually doing a summoning ritual to try to summon up something from the ocean floor for us at exactly midnight their time. And uh, so, you know, we had all these different strange experiments that we were doing, <coughs> but we made it in and out of the Bermuda Triangle with no problems. Right. There was some some strange things that happened on the cruise, but, you know, nothing that we can say that we attribute to this. But we were talking about these different window <coughs> areas. And I know that this is something that you paid a lot of attention to over the years. Do you find that these window areas, we've talked about the Bridgewater Triangle expanding. Do you feel like these other areas are expanding? I do, and I think a lot of it has to do with the attention that we give them um, and kind of the uh, the branding. If you can brand something as a triangle or as a, 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 you know, give it a really, give anything a really good nickname, give attention to it, uh, let people start thinking about it, putting in people's minds. I think that um, the things that are out there feed off that. Uh, I think that they definitely use that attention as a way to um, bring other things to it. And I think that in addition to that, once you know, uh, once people start seeing that there's a fire, uh, they start coming to warm their hands on it. And so if you have some place like the Bridgewire Triangle or the Bennington Triangle, or here down here we have the Tampa Triangle, I think that when these things become known, um, other paranormal and supernatural forces are drawn to it um, because it's a way to be seen. It's a way to be recognized 
or it's a way to at least get whatever you might need spiritually, whether that's you're feeding off some kind of energy or whether it's just, you know, you, you, there's some kind of formation of something, uh, like you always talk about. Um, I, I think that there are more, I'm not sure if they're expanding. I think we just have a whole bunch of them that are bleeding into each other. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like it's like, you know, that the Bridgewater Triangle, for example, is growing, but it's really just a whole bunch of paranormal stuff happening that because the Bridgewater Triangle is there, um, it's almost like they're, they're, they're <laughs> getting the tail end of it. They're kind of riding the coattails of, uh, of one. And, uh, and so the things start to become connected because we're looking at them. Because one of the discussions that I had with some of the folks uh, on the cruise was, you know, they were asking me, like, what is the Bridgewater Triangle and, you know, what kind of things happen there? And, you know, just sitting around, uh, you know, at night, kicking back, relaxing, talking about weird stuff. And and I said, what's funny is, you know, so many people travel in and out of the Bermuda Triangle on a daily basis. And there is still a relatively small amount of things that have happened. I know that thousands of ships have disappeared. 75 planes have disappeared. You know, there's all of these things that have happened, but there's still a relatively minute number of things that happen based on the people the that travel. The percentage is very low. Right, the percentage is very low. But how the percentage of people who have encountered something strange while living or traveling or being part of the Bridgewater Triangle is, you know, it just seems higher to me. Maybe it's because I'm here hearing more of the stories, but I would call it more of an active window area more of an active triangle than bermuda you know and and especially when we were first coming out with a lot of this ghost part of the bridgewater triangle um in the in the early 2000s and people were constantly asking well how do you know it's that how do you know it's connected to the how do you define the bridgewater triangle i think i get into this um in the um at the end of your book uh ghost of the south coast is like because a lot of what is the Bridgewater Triangle is not necessarily dark, you know, not necessarily evil, but it's unexplained within the unexplained. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, it's not, um, you know, I think the example I use in your book is one person shoots another person, and now there's a ghost there. It's something weird, it's something unexplained, and when you try really to dig into the past of it, you can't. There, you, you end up kind of just, it ends up being this question mark instead of a clear-cut answer of like, oh, you know what it is? This happened there at this time, and that's why that ghost is there. There aren't necessarily answers. There's kind of more, it's more of a mystery. And I think that's how I've always defined um, the unexplained part of the Bridgewater Triangle. So is it, is it, a, is it, a, um, is it a, a Plymouth haunting or is it part of the a bigger picture in the bridgewater triangle it's just kind of seeping over into that it's like well no you can kind of track that story down to this so many um so many people who have come to me with experiences in the bridgewater triangle are like i have no explanation for why this happened you know it, it wasn't just i saw something but my mood changed and because my mood changed and i started seeing stuff those are the kind of reports that, that I was always getting from the Bridgewater Triangle. And so it wasn't like a cute prepackaged ghost story. It was instead this weird kind of ominous or, or not always ominous, but um, thing that happened that really had no root and didn't have a climax and a resolution to it. And you know what's funny is back in those early days, you know, 11 years ago, we'd have you come on and talk about the Bridgewater Triangle and you would talk about historical stories that had happened. And by historical, I mean things that had happened in the past. It could have been, like, you know, five years previous, but still. We talked about things that happened in the past. 
And then it was always kind of like a little bit of a throw-in. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you about a story that I heard that was actually recent. And we'd be like, what? There's still recent stories coming from the Bridgewater Triangle? And now it's to the point where it's like, okay, every day we're hearing something new. Yeah, and it's weird because it because I think that there is now a context set for that area. Uh, there is a... Um, a narrative of what the Bridgewater Triangle is, and I had someone contact me just this week basically saying, please tell me that this thing that I'm experiencing, which I'm feeling is a good thing, is not evil, because it's in the Bridgewater Triangle, you know, my house is in the Bridgewater Triangle, so I can only assume that it's some demonic force trying to take me away when I think it's my grandmother who's trying to give me advice. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and so I think that, yeah, there's a lot more recent reports but then there's also, like, people are automatically, when something happens, being able to attribute it to, oh, yeah, well, I am in the Bridgewater Triangle. And I think that what we're going to see going forward is we're going to see, you know, more of these areas recognized because people are going to start to look at the patterns and say, uh, well, it does seem like there's a higher level of things going on. And I don't know if it will always be so neat and contained as to being able to call something a triangle. But we will certainly see more of these areas of high strangeness that seem to be developing in patterns. And I think that, you know, I, I know that you're, you're hitting on a, uh, a show that you're working on that's focusing on, like, cities or towns, that whole towns that seem to have this kind of thing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing a lot of research uh, based on our road trip of, like, what are areas that we can go to that have these little legends and have these little things. And I'm finding more and more... Um, towns who are going back to old ghost stories, connecting them to modern things that are happening, tagging them, someone coming up with a catchy name for it, and it actually becoming part of the personality of that area. And, uh, and I was actually able, what I was able to say to the woman was, I was like, oh, don't worry, you're in Rehoboth. That's the good ghost part of the Bridgewater Triangle. You're all set. Don't worry about it. Right. And and that's what's funny is when, you know, we're actually starting to see uh, personalities develop amongst these places, so it's not just it's not just this area seems to have a re, uh, seems to have a bunch of things going on, but we can almost kind of point to more and more reasons, root causes, and, and identities to these locations and, and to these areas of, of, of things happening. Yeah, so I, I'm really anxious to see the the take that your show has on it. Am I allowed to say that you have a show? Oh yeah, well, no, oh, okay. I, I believe it's July seventh is the premiere date for what okay. is currently called Haunted Towns. I don't know if the name will change before the time it airs, uh, but it's the cast of Ghost Asylum, the Tennessee Wraith Chasers, uh, now going to entire towns that are having activity, and activity that is connected. So uh, stay tuned to your local TV listings for that, but I believe July <laughs> 7th is the date that I've been hearing. I'm jumping the gun because the network hasn't announced anything formally, but I didn't sign any non-disclosure agreement, so I think I can say it. But that was that was the, the most intriguing thing about what you were talking about when you were developing the project was this idea of like there's some kind of haunting and it's not just in one location but it's the town is influenced by it or there seems to be something that has its tentacles out to the to the to the whole town as opposed to just one location because I think we're going to see that kind of paranormal context going forward. All right. Well, we will certainly talk about that when that comes up. But that does it for this week's show. Want to say one more time, you know, rest in peace, our Gary Patterson. Uh, you are gone, but you will definitely never be forgotten. And, uh, of course, we will keep you alive uh, through the way that we research and the way we report things as well. So until next week, when it will be episode 500, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>